0: If you have your scripture with you this morning, turn to the book of Deuteronomy, where we'll be in chapter 6, be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's also in your bulletin if you don't have a copy of the scripture with you. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, here now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you called for yourself a people, and you gave us your commands and your statutes of how we should live and how we should worship you and how we should treat one another. And, Father, help us to understand better this word and to love it with all of our heart. Father, I pray for us that we will be receptive to this word this morning, that you would guide me as I preach, that you give me clarity of speech, that you give us ears to hear your word, hearts to do your word. And Father, help me as I preach to not go to the left or to the right of your word, but help me to honor it and give you glory. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So in these verses that we have this morning, Israel is being commanded by the Lord to give him an undivided worship. They are to give him their love by teaching his word to their children, by remembering his laws and thinking of them, keeping them in sight all day long. In the context here, this is Israel as they are about to to go into a promised land to them. They've... They've gone through the Exodus. They've seen some miraculous signs and wonders by the Lord. They've also seen themselves be rebellious to the Lord. They have, on the one hand, had Moses go up to the mountain to receive the tablets from God. And by the time Moses comes down, they have they've built for themselves a version of their own God. And they have committed idolatry. So this is their history. As they are coming now into a land, they are warned that as you go into the land, you, you must be obedient. There's a promise given to them. If you are obedient, if you keep these commands, I will be with you when you go into the land. And when you go up against these nations, I will be with you. That's what the Lord tells them. And then he also gives them this other promise. It's a promise of curse. If you are disobedient, then I will raise up these nations against you, and they will be a rod of discipline against you. The Lord is jealous for his people. He wants their undivided worship, and so he gives them this promise. And so Moses gives them this word, and we, like Israel, need this word. We are a fallen people like Israel. We go into cycles of obedience and disobedience just as Israel does. And so as Moses comes to the people and he says, Hear, o Israel. He's, he's trying to get their attention. Have you ever spoken to a child and they're, they're off in space and you're trying to get their attention and you kind of have to, to reorient their, their face in your direction to make sure that they hear you and you even identify that to them. You say, are you hearing me? Like, Hear these words that I say. And that's what what Moses does here. This is a very, very crucial word. This is a word of life and death for them. And so he says, hear, O Israel, as he opens up. But before we dig into these words, I want to give us a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards says that the difference between the Old and the New Covenant is that in the Old Covenant, the the covenant promised that God would be their God upon hearty obedience. And obedience was stipulated as a condition, but not promised. But in the new covenant, his, his hearty obedience is promised. Um, another way you could put this is that the, Moses gives them the law written in stone. And then, remember, the people were already committing adultery by the time they received this word. Jesus gives us the word written on our hearts. And so it's a different situation. It's a better situation for us. But we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all dead in the law in need of his hope and resurrection. And we need the law written on our hearts. And that is exactly what he does for us. So because the one true God has loved you, now you can love the Lord. You can love his word First, let's look at how we love the Lord with all, with undivided worship. Let's take a look at verses 4 and 5. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Remember, he's saying, hear this. This is important. This is These are the words you need. There is one God. This is your God. Don't give your allegiance to anyone else. The problem for Israel was they just had been delivered from a man who claimed to be God. And they lived among nations that believed in many gods. And they were constantly tempted to worship all of these other gods, and they were about to step into all of these foreign nations and take them over, and they were warned. Moses says, as you go into these nations, don't inquire about their gods and as to how they worship. This is not for you. You know the one true God, and he does not share his glory with anyone else. So he demands undivided worship. So what does that look like for us? What comp- competes for God's glory in our lives? That can be hard to identify. It was obvious for them. It's obvious if I have a pillar to a foreign god in the corner over here in the house. I mean, these types of things are, are physical, and it's so easy to identify. But for us, it's, it's a bit sneakier. Our idolatry is hard to identify, So we have to examine ourselves. This is not something that's a surface level. Most of the time, this is deep. And we have to examine what's on our mind. Where's our time spent? Where's our affection really directed? And so he says, worship the one true God. And how does he explain this? Well, in verse 5, he says, to love the Lord with all with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. So this first part of the phrase, love the Lord, how does scripture define love? Well, John writes a lot about love. and I'm not talking about John the Beatle. I'm talking about John the Apostle. So the world defines love. All you need is love, right? Um, All of these... uh, very light definitions of love. But John defines love in a few different ways. John defines it, first off, by keeping the commandments of God. We see this in the book of John. We see this in the, the letters of John as well. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, or 1 John chapter 5, this is love, that we keep his commandments. And then he follows it with, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's beautiful. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. But he also says, this is love, that you will tend my sheep. That's what Jesus tells, tells uh, Simon. He says, do you love me? Will then tend my sheep? Care for my flock. And we also see that we know love because he first loved us. This is how we know what love is, that he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4. Or 1 John chapter 3, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. So John says a lot about love. It says that it's obeying the commandments of God. That we know love because God has first loved us. And he says that this looks like taking care of God's people. And caring for the things that God cares about. So we're commanded to love God and to love God with, with our all. And this phrase here, if you were in Hebrew, which I'm, I'm assuming we probably, most of us are, haven't spent much time in, in, in our Hebrew Bibles lately. Um, the phrase here that pops up three times where it says, love, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, or well, in this, um, actually in this section of scripture, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Uh, This with all is the same phrase as in all, and that pops up earlier in Deuteronomy. We see that in the uh, second and fourth chapter. We see that the Lord blessed them in all the works of their hands, and in all of their calls to him, he has answered him. So just as Israel is commanded to with all, love the Lord, the Lord's already been there for them in all of their needs. He's already taken care of them. He's already blessed them in all of their things. And so the Lord has first loved them. And now he calls them, now give me your all. I've given you it all. Now give me your all. So we are called to love the Lord with every part of our lives. He says, with all your heart. Well, he's written the law on your heart so that you can do this. By nature, we're not able to love the Lord with all our heart. As I was preparing the sermon, I realized this is a very hard text. All of the demands here are impossible. I cannot love the Lord with all of my heart. And then as we go further and we see what this looks like, I, I was convicted because I do not do these things that well. But this is what the Lord requires, and this is what the Lord helps us to do. He writes the law on our heart so that we may love him with our heart. And so now we love him with a heart that has the law inscribed upon it. And he says, with all your soul. Well, that's the very soul that he has saved, that he calls you to love him with. And with all your might. And this is another one that the Hebrew is a little bit helpful on this word might here we translate it as might because the word in hebrew we don't have an english equivalent to the word is it's like the english word very but veryness so it's a, it's a quality that we don't have an english word for so he says love him with all your veryness it's like with all your extremity with all your extent so we say with all your might and the truth is he is our might he is everything we have He is all of our strength, Um, and we love him with the strength that he gives us. He's already told Israel here, I did not call you because of your might, because you were a mighty people, but I called you to do things to my glory. He calls us for his glory. So as we love him with all of our might, we are only loving him with what he's already given us. And so it's to his glory that we live a life dedicated to his worship and to his, his word. And by his grace, he cultivates that very character in his people that the law requires. We are at, at odds with his law, yet he calls us, he commands us to love him with our all, devoting all of ourselves and living out his law so he cultivates that character in us. He sanctifies his people. And this is an ongoing process, right? When you first became a believer, did your, did your life just automatically line up with scripture? Or has it, has it been a, a process? And you become more and more in line with his law. That's what it looks like as, as we live. Hopefully, we are becoming more and more sanctified. But like Israel, we will fail. Like Israel, we will have cycles of obedience and disobedience and have to redirect. And we will have moments where we, we read this passage and we say, Yes, Lord, I love you with my all. And then we'll have moments where we realize that we are so far away from that. So what is the application of this? God calls us to let go of all of the the gods in our lives. What are these things? Well, what do you fear more than the Lord? Is it the approval of your peers or of your co-workers, of friends or family? What do you value more than God? We're so blind to this adultery. We have to pray to the Lord to reveal this in us. We would be undone if we knew all of the things that we worship more than the Lord. But by his grace, we must pray that he will reveal these things to us so that we can surrender our lives to him. When we see him face to face, all of those misplaced priorities that we have, they will become very clear to us, and we will surrender finally to our Lord. Because he's the one, the one true God, and he calls us to love him with an undivided worship. And so by his strength, we grow in this. By his mercy, by his Holy Spirit indwelling us, we come more like this picture in scripture. But let's look at verse 6 here. So not only do we need to love the Lord with our all, but we need to love the word in all. We're going to look at this in two different sections. We're going to look at teaching the word as well as remembering or preserving the word. So this first section is going to deal with teaching the word. So... What does this look like? What does it look like for the word of God to be woven into the very fabric of our lives? Well, verse 6 puts it this way. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So what does it mean for something to remain on our heart? He says these words should be on your heart. Well, we constantly have things on our hearts, for better or for worse. These are the things that occupy your mind. These are the things that weigh on us. Sometimes it's a to-do list that's on your heart, the things that are pressing that need to be done. Sometimes it's the... The mistakes you've made over the past week. um, The times you put your foot in your mouth. um, Those are the things that can be on your heart. What consumes your time? Do you spend your time researching Amazon purchases? Do you spend your time on just different forms of entertainment? What are the things that you talk about? Is it scripture? Is scripture on your heart? Is it on your mind? Well. This is an ongoing concept. This doesn't mean that the only thing you can ever think is scripture and that the only thing you can ever speak is scripture and that the only thing you can ever read is scripture. That's not what Paul is saying. But it's more like when Paul tells the church to pray without ceasing. This doesn't mean that I have to keep a constant prayer going and never break away from that prayer. But instead, that prayer is my natural instinct, that I will want to pray as things come up. I will want to pray. And so likewise, Scripture should be our natural instinct. When we see something, it should relate to Scripture because we love Scripture. Because Scripture is such a part of our lives, it, it's, it's going to be inseparable. It's going to be woven into everything that you do. So we cannot compartmentalize Scripture to Sunday mornings, but instead... Scripture is to be woven into every day. The words of Moses that he gave to the people, they were meant to be put to use for the people. They aren't to collect dust, but instead they should be transforming us. And for the word to be on our heart, we first have to spend time in Scripture. So I just said, you don't have to be reading Scripture every moment of your life, but we do have to read Scripture. And we do need to take it to heart and put it into practice. It's really easy to read scripture. I could read about Israel and say, wow, what a bunch of sinners. They they saw all of these things. So have I. I have the law written on my heart, and I still disobey it. How miraculous is that, right? So the parting of the Red Sea, what an amazing sight. The, The pillar of cloud and the fire what amazing sights. The Lord is with his people, yet they reject him and they rebel against him. The Lord has written on my heart, and that's with me all the time, and yet I fight it. I still resist God's word. I am just like them. So we must take it to heart and put into practice Scripture. We must be able to see. Our need for scripture. In verse 7, he talks a lot about teaching the word to your children. Um, first part about this I want to speak to is that our faith is a household faith. It's not something that we can just individualize and say, well, I'm a Christian, but, but you guys do what you want to do. No, we re, we're commanded to bring the word into the home. That's, that's how we're to live our lives. Each generation is entrusted with the next generation. So here we have the people that were a part of the Exodus. They witnessed these great things, and they are to hand down this to the next generation that did not see these, these miracles. Right? So they have to tell the testimony of all of the things that the Lord has done, and they have to hand down the word, all of these words, unadulterated, just as they received them. To the next generation, that is the command for them, and that's what we do. Um, just as this generation sees one thing, and the next generation hasn't experienced it, hasn't had those things, they missed seeing the Red Sea parted by the Lord. They missed being well. They don't go no and say they missed it, but they were not slaves in Egypt. And so they did not have shared experiences, the two generations here. So one generation, hands down to the next. And that's what we do as well. And maybe you don't have children. And maybe you think, well, this doesn't apply to me. He says, teach your children. So I'm off the hook. Well, Paul also didn't have children, but he had many spiritual children. And that's the way the Lord has designed us, that we are a spiritual family. Paul uses that family language. He refers to the church as his children, and, and we use the term brothers, and it's because the Lord has designed it in such a way that we are a spiritual family, and everyone has a part to play. Uh, in the Presbyterian Church, we do infant baptism, and a part of that is we're presenting this child as a member of the church to be cared for by the church. And if you're in a Baptist church, you're going to see something very similar. It's going to be a baby dedication, and there's going to be this commitment made between the congregation And the family. And and we all are working together to raise one another up in the word. But um, this word teach here has a unique connotation in Hebrew. It has repetition. It has like... So it's understood that teaching includes repetition. And so it's a repeated thing that you do over and over again. And also... The word teach is spelled exactly the same as the word sharpen in Hebrew. And I don't think that's a a coincidence. I think they're the same word that when we're teaching, we're sharpening. We're honing in. We're, we're, We're refining the edge of the blade, so to speak, with repetition, with consistency. We come to the word and we repeat it. And this doesn't mean that you have to be a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't mean that you have to be a preacher to teach the word But instead, we just repeat what we know to be true from the word, and we do it consistently. And so when you're teaching, you may feel like, I need something new to say. I'm just saying the same things over and over again. You can feel that pressure to constantly come up with something fresh, something new. And the truth is, repeating the same thing over and over again is actually what we're called to do. That is how something sticks, right? You need repetition. That's a good thing. So you're not doing anything wrong if you're constantly telling your children the same thing over and over again. That's actually good. That's that's not a bad thing. And that's how you sharpen a blade, right? It's just the same motion over and over again, and you're refining it. And there are so many things in this world that want to dull the edge of that blade. Culture is very counter the commandments of Lord of the Lord here. Um, It's like one by one, culture is trying to tear down the Ten Commandments. And that's nothing new. I mean, the serpent from the beginning was trying to tear down the word of God. That's what you see in the interaction between the serpent and Eve. He's challenging the word of God there. And culture is doing the same thing now. Uh, I recently looked through a children's book, and it was a book about a possum and the possum was teaching the younger possum how to play possum, uh, and he's not very good at it. He's just a silly possum, so he's always cracking jokes and not taking it seriously. And then a bear comes up. And so the possum, not very good at playing possum, interacts with this bear, and it turns out the bear just really wanted to be made to laugh, that everything that the possum's mom had told him was wrong, everything that by nature we know to be true about possums is actually not true, that bears just want to be friendly and there's no need to play possum. That was the moral of the story. So what it's actually undoing is his mom is, is, is foolish because she actually doesn't know the truth and she's handing him down lies. That's the moral of the story, but if you analyze it a little bit further, you realize, no, the mom actually was giving him good advice. You need to play possum when you see a bear coming. But culture, there's a tone in culture that parents don't know what they're talking about. And that is actually attacking the Ten Commandments that we are to honor our mother and father. Yet, if you look at a sitcom or anything or in, our, in the entertainment industry, the parents are always goofy. Right. Uh, the children often know better than the parents and, and are actually teaching the parent by the end of the episode. And while it is true, you can learn from... You're younger, right? So this is definitely true. But, but there is a, there's a movement to undercut what, what the truth of the word teaches. So we have to beware. And I'm sure many of you that have children have probably read things in children's books that were very alarming to you that did not line up with your values. I, I would love to hear about those sometime. Um, this is nothing new, though. The, the, the devil's been doing this since the beginning. Uh, but we maintain a true edge by returning to the Scripture. So things will come, and they will blunt the edge of, of what we are working on, right? So we're, we're, we're training up a child. We're training them up in the truth. And then all of these other influences are hitting that blade, dulling that blade. Well, we come back to it with Scripture, and we refine it over and over again, and we keep it true. That's, that's our task. So don't be afraid to repeat the same things over and over again. We need to hear that. And it says to teach diligently. That's what t- teaching diligently means, returning to the same truths over and over again. Uh, when you lie down and when you wake up, this is a comprehensive picture here. Yes. When you are coming and you're going. this is um, In Hebrew, we call this a mirrorism. It's a, it's a, it's a stylistic uh, way of giving a comprehensive picture. And so what it's saying is the word should be engrafted into your life. And all the things you do related to the word, it should be in your conversations at all times, in all places. Our homes should be shaped by the word. Um, one of the challenges I would have for us is do our families have reasons to believe that our heart has been written on by the word of God? Does it look like that in our lives. Um, how often do we speak of Scripture in our homes? How often do we obey Scripture in our homes? If, if we're not doing that, we need to change that. We have to be intentional to grow in the Word along with our families, along with our community here. We grow in the Word together. And we share our joy just as these Israelites needed to tell the next generation what the Lord has done. We have to do the same. We tell the we tell our, our families. We tell our church members what the Lord is doing in our lives. Uh, be honest. Share your struggles. Share, share your joys. All of these things. Read and pray with your family. Read and pray with your friends. And then this can be awkward for many of us, and it can be very hard to get started doing this in your family, especially if you've never done this. If you have never read scripture in your house, if you've never really prayed with your family, it can be very hard to get started. But I would strongly challenge you to push through the awkward phase and spend time in the word with your family. I can't help but think about a church member that I knew that had no singing voice. He just had a raspy whisper and he would sing. And by most accounts, he's not a good singer. But it was, it was such a blessing and such an encouragement to hear this man sing, not because he's a good singer, but because he loves the Lord. Likewise, not because you're a good teacher, do you need to teach your family, but because you love the Lord. You muscle through it. Even if it's a raspy whisper, you do what you can with your family. The Lord knows our weaknesses, and he knows that we are not all gifted teachers, but he will bless that. Just pray, pray with your family. Read scripture with your family. And lastly, he knows our weaknesses and he knows that we need the word preserved for us and we need to remember the word. And so as you look at verse 8 here, verses 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These are outward signs of of the word that we need to take inwardly. In fact, this first part where it says bind it on your hands and on the frontlets of your eyes, there was a practice of actually putting scripture around your arms here and in a box on your forehead. And people did this and they took this very literally linguistically i think you have a good argument that this part's actually supposed to be figurative that they probably weren't supposed to have you know not required to have a box on their head but many people did did that but how much better is it to internalize the word in between our eyes right there in our mind having the having the scriptures there and the, and we carry the word with us everywhere we go and on the doorposts and on your gates another comprehensive pairing of words like like the challenge to teach as you rise, as you lay down, as you, as you go out, as you're in your house. Um, likewise, on the doorposts of your home and on your gates is another one of these mirrorisms, another complete picture where you have your home, which is more personal, you know, private residence, and then your gate, which is a more public entrance here. And so you have this reminder of scripture on the, the post. And this one actually probably was literal, like to put it on there. However, how do I apply that? I, I rent my home. Should I carve scripture on, on the um, post there? I don't think so. That's not going to go over well. But the point is to remember the word. Keep it in front of you. We have so many tools that generations never had before. And we can have constant reminder. We don't have to carve the word into the doorframe of our house, I've got the word here, on my cell phone. I've got it here on my iPad. I actually have a printed copy here. All of these things are things that people would not have had back then, right? So they had to do everything they could to to, to work work it into their memories. Whereas we have tools that they could have never dreamed. I can. I was listening to scripture driving here this morning in the car. We have tools. Yet, these tools do us no good if we do not use them. I, um, I, I'm guilty of having way more Bibles than I read. You know, like, it's not proportionate to the amount of time I spend in Scripture, the amount of shelf space that my Bibles take up. We are blessed with an abundance and an embarrassment of blessings that we do not put to use. We have no excuse for not reading Scripture. We have constant access to it. So what's the point? Keep the word in front of you. Hold on tight to that word. It's precious. Yes. It's for our good. And we must pass it on to the next generation just as we found it, unadulterated. But we, have, we have that responsibility. The king of Israel had a responsibility. He had to write down the law of Moses. The, he had to write down the Pentateuch. He had to, he had to write his own copy with supervision from the Levitical priests. It tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 7. and, um, and He's told he's, he's to do this so that he will not turn away from it. He's told that he should do this in order that his sons might continue long in the kingdom. and, and We see that this is not the case. When you actually look at the history of Israel, this is not what they actually did. Not very many kings... We're faithful to the law of the Lord. And in fact, the law of the Lord gets lost for chunks of time in, where they are not being obedient. But Deuteronomy 17 commands the king to do this under the supervision of the priest. That's significant. The reason the priest is supervising it is he's supposed to write it down correctly so that he will obey it correctly. And that's our responsibility as well. We must look at the word correctly correctly So that we can pass it down just as we found it. And truthfully transmit that to the next generation. We we are to hand it down. But like the, the kings of Israel that abandoned the word of the Lord. We easily can do the same. It's so easy. And those who were with Moses that saw great things walked away. Many of them did not please the Lord many of them fell in the desert because they did not hold fast to his word and just as easily we can be presumptuous we can say i'm i'm one of God's children like i'm not in danger of this i love the lord just as easily we can drift away so the conclusion is our lord is the one true lord He is jealous for our affection. We should have no other gods. And our chief end, as the catechism says, is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And so we glorify him by giving him undivided devotion, loving him with our lives. Though we did not love him as we ought, he still loved us. And through Jesus, he's provided for all of our needs and all of our weaknesses. There's a battle for your soul going on How can we love the Lord with our all when our minds are far from him? So many things are competing for us. There's a war on the word going on. How can we defend his word if we do not know it? This world hates the word enough to spend time developing attacks against the word. Do we love the word enough to spend time in it? Our call is to love the Lord by giving him our undivided worship and weaving his word into the fabric of our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you so graciously give us your word, that you so graciously give us a community centered around your word. Help us to cherish that. Help us to take great care to prioritize your worship. Help us to know what it means to worship you with all of our everything, with our might, with our souls, with our heart. Help us to surrender our families to you, our time to you. Help us to love you with the grace that you have given us to do that. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.